This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. As far back as age seven, Alicia can remember having patches of dry, itchy skin on her knees and elbows. She could see it was some kind of rash, but they didn't know exactly what caused it. Then she got the chicken pox, and when it was gone, she found that 90% of her skin was now covered in those dry, itchy patches. This wasn't normal. Had the chicken pox morphed into something else, or could it be eczema? By age 10, she knew she was different. Such a critical time in a child's life for starting to figure out who you are and where you fit in. It should be approached from a place of self-worth and confidence, but you can't do that if your body is 90% covered in what looks to the average person like a disease. They tried everything they could to clear it up. I've been on so many treatments. I would say at seven, because of my age, the treatments that I could use were very limited. So a lot of that from the age of seven to 18 was phototherapy, which is like when you stand in UVA or UVB light, almost like a tanning booth. So did that. I did something called occlusion, which is like where they put steroids on you. They put you in pajamas. They wet the pajamas. They put you in a plastic suit and you wear that plastic suit for eight hours and they combine that with phototherapy. Nothing seemed to work and the patches of dry skin never went away. She starts her freshman year of high school and gets into the drama program. I was in this play and we were doing a dress rehearsal And our drama teacher, she had bought makeup for everybody. And so when I was about to use it, she said in front of everyone, no, 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 no. I don't know what's going on with your skin. You cannot use my makeup. What an absolutely devastating thing to say to someone in front of their peers. I just remember like being 14 and being overwhelmed with an emotion and then not really understanding how to process that. It even makes you question your worth in a sense, you know, because it's this adult figure who doesn't even have enough respect for you to figure out what's going on and then to display that in front of your peers. That comment stuck with Alicia. Her skin was like a litmus test for character. The play also had an assistant they called Ms. D., I remember telling her what happened and she was very empathetic and compassionate. And so the next day she bought me a bag of Mac makeup samples. So that was like the first time I had ever heard about Mac cosmetics. And so I was able to use that. So she definitely was a savior in that moment. And I hate, I can't remember her entire name. Later, she would think back on those years and write, I didn't understand what it meant to have a chronic illness. All I knew was that I had dry skin that was itchy and unattractive. I didn't like to play sports because I didn't want to have to wear the uniforms that were required. I think um, it kind of changed my personality in a sense because when you have psoriasis, you tend to like suffocate yourself almost because you don't want to be noticed because you know if people notice you then they may see this visible condition um it impacted 
even dating at that age um, and that awkwardness just going through puberty. So in every aspect of life, even going to prom, like prom was so overwhelming because they didn't have like a lot of long sleeve dresses and I didn't know what I was going to wear and I didn't want to show my skin. So it impacted my life in every way as a teenager. Prom's overwhelming in general, right. let alone <laughs> to have a, a skin condition. Exactly. What were people asking you? Were they concerned that if they touched you, that it's contagious? Because there's a lot of misconceptions about psoriasis out there. You always get a variety of responses, right? Like sometimes you get people who make assumptions so they will assume that you have other conditions or they may assume you have something that's contagious. I've come across people that ask questions with a genuine concern. Um, I've had people come and ask questions because they have psoriasis and they're trying to understand it more through the eyes of someone else. Um, So most of the time, I've encountered decent people. I cannot always say that the rest of my psoriasis brothers and sisters have that same story, but typically it's from a place of curiosity. See, skin cells normally are grown and shed about once a month. Psoriasis causes this to happen much faster every few days, and the skin cells don't shed well. They pile up on the surface, creating what we call plaques. Plaque psoriasis is by far the most common form of psoriasis. While psoriasis manifests itself externally, it's actually an immune system disorder. We don't know what the cause of psoriasis is, but we do know how to fight the symptoms pretty well. That's why Alicia's story is unique. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least weekly health and fitness corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast for that real-life on-the-go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Alicia graduates high school and goes to college. She starts getting involved in the online community and finds one called Talk Psoriasis through the National Psoriasis Foundation. The support she found there transformed her thinking. She didn't have to apologize for her condition. A lifetime of feeling uncomfortable had made her strong. She became empowered and decided to share her experience. So Alicia put it into a post titled, My Suicide Letter. 
That letter wasn't about killing myself, but more so like a spiritual death, like killing the different parts of me that would not allow myself to truly live an authentic life because of psoriasis. And so it was so many people touched that they had sent it to the National Psoriasis Foundation. So a couple of the employees there at the time messaged me and they were like, oh my gosh, we love your letter. We want you to come to a volunteer conference. And so that very next year, I was at my first National Psoriasis Foundation conference. Alicia's letter had a powerful impact on the community. It raised awareness about psoriasis in a place where awareness simply didn't exist. Women of color. I feel like the unique challenges of being a woman with psoriasis is definitely that we really focus on beauty and perfection and what that means. So when you have a visible condition that is presenting you in a way that is quote unquote not perfect, it can be very difficult with how you think you're perceived by the world and also how you relate to the world yourself. Living as a woman with a skin condition is difficult enough. Women are bombarded every day with the message that they need silky, smooth, flawless skin. So it took a lot of courage to do what she did next. She published a photo showing her skin on social media, then deleted it, then published it again. Her anxiety was through the roof. But she finally let go and found support hiding in plain sight. Even some people she knew in high school were inspired to share their experience with psoriasis. It's more common than you think. About one out of 60 people in the world have it. A Google search for celebrities will result in several BuzzFeed style lists. But if you change the search to black celebrities with psoriasis, you'll find next to nothing. And it's diagnosed considerably less in African Americans compared to Caucasians, although it happens at roughly the same rate. So what's the reason for it? Being a black woman dealing with the disease is several unique challenges, like um, being misdiagnosed. I remember going to a doctor in my mid-20s, and she was a black doctor, and I was like, okay, she's black, she's going to get it, right? And so she looked at my skin and was like, eh, I don't think it's psoriasis because it does not look the way that we've been taught to think it's supposed to be presented. So what she was referring to is like, if you look up psoriasis, it's going to describe it as itchy, red, inflamed patches of dry skin. But in African-American people, it does not present that way. It could be dark purple, to dark red, to pink. So because that knowledge is not being taught even in the medical field, a lot of black people are being misdiagnosed because their disease does not present like it's described in a textbook. Now this is a problem and could definitely be one of the reasons why African-Americans are diagnosed less frequently. The medical textbooks with pictures of psoriasis are mostly for Caucasians. So doctors aren't learning the different ways it presents in people of color. An interesting study was just published about this. We're going to hear from the senior researcher in just a minute. But she found something that stood out to me. People of color are not being offered the same treatments as Caucasians are. Then as I got older, of course, I had the opportunity to try other types of treatments. So oral steroids, 
topicals, ointments that have different types of medicine, and most recently, biologics. And so in the last seven years, I have uh, been on five different biologics. And biologics tend to be the treatment that works best for me. Did you ever face the idea that maybe you were not receiving the best treatment available because you're a woman of color? We have some data that suggests that some options to the latest treatments are being offered, or there's difference in, in terms of how care is being delivered. Did that ever cross your mind? For me, it was more so related to the socioeconomic side of it, only because like uh, I was raised by my grandparents. So the insurance they had for me was Medicaid. So uh, Medicaid is very limited as to what treatments are available, right? So then I move on from that, and now I'm in college. Well, my grandparents have custody of me. They were using Medicaid, but Medicaid does not go to state to state. So now I'm away off in college with no insurance. So again, they're going to offer you the cheapest treatments that you can afford because you don't have insurance. My doctor's lack of dealing with diverse patients impacted their ability to treat me because it wasn't until I got with a doctor who does clinical trials and like she deliberately makes sure she has diversity in those clinical trials that I found an effective treatment. Alicia was able to have her psoriasis identified fairly young, but it took a long time to receive the treatment she needed. And I think that's a serious issue that needs to be fixed. Alicia was able to finally get treatment that worked for her. I'm doing great. Like right now, um, I've been on a treatment for a little over two years, and my skin is like virtually 100% clear. Is that your goal, to have clear skin or, or just fewer flare-ups? Like what, what's success to you, to Alicia Bridges? That's a funny question. And let me tell you how my doctor set the bar, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was on a treatment... And remember, I'm 90% covered. So this treatment took me from 90% to about 80% clear. 90% covered to 80% clear. 80% clear. And so when I went with, to her and she's like, well, how are you doing? And I'm like, the medicine is great. <laughs> and so she looks at my skin and she's like, we can get you in a better place than this. So I realized because I was just happy that it wasn't 90%. I had kind of set the bar lower and I didn't realize how high it could go. So now my goal is definitely 100% clearance with as few flares as possible. But again, if I was to go back to like maybe 80% clearance, I wouldn't have a nervous breakdown about it. Alicia is strong, smart, and doing well for herself and her community. It was the community she found that helped her find her strength, and she's paying it forward. She's mentoring people and raising awareness to destigmatize psoriasis, but there's still some healing to be done. Recently, <laughs> I'm like on this journey of like, you know, taking up for myself, and uh, I had tried to find her on Facebook because I mm -hmm. wanted to let her oh, know. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Here you are, a success. Yes, yeah. I wanted to mm -hmm. let her know how that moment made me feel. But there was no resolution waiting there. She found that the teacher had passed away a few years back. 
I just realized that that is a situation that I would have to make peace with on my own. Yeah. She isn't bitter, but she wishes she had been able to stand up for herself at the time. Alicia had limited access to healthcare. She was misdiagnosed, and it took a long time for her to be prescribed the right treatment. Just how common is this? We'll get to the bottom of it when we get back. If I ask my colleagues about it, they'll say they treat everyone the same. So I wonder, what's going on here? If anyone knows the answer, it's Dr. Junko Takeshita. She's an assistant professor of dermatology and epidemiology at the University of Pennsylvania Perelman School of Medicine. She's published studies showing racial disparities in both accessing the healthcare system for psoriasis and on the type of treatments provided. My first question is why are people of color being diagnosed less frequently? No one has the intention of treating people differently. And, you know, from from the provider's perspective, we are all humans. We all have biases. We all make judgments. And especially in a quick clinical encounter and dermatological encounters are particularly very short. It's hard to avoid those quick judgments. So I don't think anybody intentionally goes into the visit saying, oh, I'm going to treat people differently. I, I think what we've found is that, first of all, Unfortunately, our dermatology education has been biased. You know, the photos that we see mostly have been founded on lighter skin. And so most of the classic descriptions of skin diseases are really based on what skin diseases look like in lighter skin. A prime example of this is the description of what's called erythema or redness on the skin. This redness that is quite obviously red on lighter skin, looks different on darker skin. It can look more purple. So that that's one issue is that we need to diversify our dermatologic education. And what's a consequence of this is that we have found that dermatology trainees and practicing dermatologists are less confident or less accurate in diagnosing skin diseases, including psoriasis, in darker skin types. But that's still going on now? It absolutely is going on now. I mean, I thought we were addressing it, but you're saying it's still a problem. It is still a problem. We, for example, performed a survey of practicing dermatologists in the United States. And this survey was administrated a couple years ago, so not that long ago. And we found that there were differences in the confidence and diagnosis of psoriasis among dermatologists and whether they were given a light-skinned image versus a darker-skinned image. So unfortunately, yes, this is still ongoing. I'm optimistic that this is going to change in the very near future. Now that we have recognized this problem and more people are aware of it, already there are changes being made in the dermatologic education. There are initiatives and programs. For example, the American Academy of Dermatology has created a skin of color curriculum. Image banks, such as visual diagnosis, have really diversified their uh, availability of images in a variety of skin types. So there are changes being made for the better, and I am really hopeful for the future that this will change. I'm a little bit surprised that this is still an ongoing issue in dermatology. I'm glad it's being addressed, but this leads me to a bigger issue. Most people with a rash aren't going directly to dermatologists. They're going to their primary care physician. If dermatologists are still struggling to get the proper education, what are we doing to educate clinicians on how to properly recognize and treat psoriasis in people of color? 
Yeah, this is also a key problem. I, I think many people are aware that it's unfortunately difficult to get in to see a dermatologist. So not only do dermatologists need to be educated, but primary care providers, internists, you know, the people who are initially seeing those individuals with various skin diseases also need to have a basic education. And so when I talk about, you know, I've talked about dermatologic education not being very diverse, but overall in general, the medical education has not been very diverse in terms of images of, of what skin diseases and other diseases look like that have skin manifestations. And so we need to attack this issue, not just within dermatology, but also in the house of medicine to provide more dermatologic education also in a variety of skin tones among everybody in medical school. I mean, certainly not everyone can know, you know, be an expert in everything, but I think we can provide better and more diverse and inclusive basic education. So we've identified there's a problem with how physicians are being educated and are at least working to correct it. But that doesn't address why people of color would be receiving different treatments after being diagnosed. We have also done work that have, you know, found that there are treatment disparities. So even once you get in to see a healthcare provider who, you know, you think can diagnose and, and treat your disease adequately, there are disparities in treatment. You know, what a provider recommends to you may differ by your race. So we had done some, a study among Medicare beneficiaries, adults with psoriasis who were receiving Medicare, and we found that Black individuals were much less likely than white individuals to receive what are called biologic treatments for psoriasis. These are largely self-injectable medications, and they're really the mainstay of treating more severe disease. So you're saying that people of color were not even given the options or different treatment modalities, especially um, more advanced therapies weren't even discussed with them as an option. Is that right? Possibly. So we're, we're not really sure exactly why these treatment disparities exist as of yet. To some extent, again, going back to the diagnostic issue, if you're not even getting a timely diagnosis of psoriasis, then certainly a healthcare provider is not going to offer you the tr appropriate treatments for psoriasis, right? So I think that's that's one thing that contributes to these disparities. Beyond that, you know, it's really unclear. I, I can hypothesize a, a few different things uh, that may be contributing to this. Again, nobody intends to go into a patient visit saying, you know, I'm going to give different treatments to people. I, people try to be as equitable as possible. However, again, you know, we know that different insurances cover different medications. Some insurances, it's a lot more difficult to get access to these uh, medications. For example, Medicaid is, is just one example. And so sometimes people look at people's insurance and say, okay, I'm not going to even offer these medications. And we know that there are racial and ethnic divides in terms of what kind of healthcare people receive. Additionally, you know, beyond that, you know, there's a healthcare provider uh, patient interaction. Beyond that, you know, there are also less exposures potentially for the, the layperson um, just in the general public in terms of understanding that psoriasis may even occur among individuals who have darker skin and uh, even darker skinned individuals or racial and ethnic minority individuals who have psoriasis, understanding that these biologic treatments are for them. And so the reason why I say this is we also did a study looking at these direct-to-consumer ads that are televised um, quite rampantly, as I'd mentioned previously. And when we look at who's represented in these advertisements, it's largely white individuals. 
And so I can imagine, you know, a you know, black individual with psoriasis would look at these ads and say, oh, well, black people probably don't get psoriasis. And certainly this treatment is probably not for me because I don't see myself represented. And so this has ultimately resulted in, again, another finding in another one of our studies that we have found that black individuals are less familiar that these biologic treatments are treatments that are appropriate for people with more severe disease. So I think, you know, what can be contributing on the larger sort of public scale, you know, there's less exposure to these um, medications because of the poor diversity of representation direct to consumer ads. And then there's a patient provider interaction um, that, you know, either the, the patient themselves is not understanding sort of that these medications are available to them or providers may be already making some decisions in their head about who is more likely to receive some of these medications and not offering to certain patients. But this is really concerning, and it's really the responsibility of the physician to make sure that the patient is at least being told their therapeutic options. You know, one point I also want to mention is, you know, Alicia also said that as a woman, she was treated differently. So, you know, she had like a double whammy in in terms of being a woman, being a person of color. Has your data shown much that we're treating women differently as well? So that's an interesting question. I have not, as of yet, uh, found big differences in terms of of women being treated differently. I, I will say that there are certainly data out there that suggests that from a quality of life standpoint, women report that their quality of life is more impacted in a negative way by their psoriasis specifically than men. It's unclear yet why exactly this is. And so, you know, if women are, for example, I'm I'm assuming that Alicia was probably undertreated. So if if women are being undertreated disproportionately compared to men, uh, in light of bearing a burden of a larger quality of life impact, this is even more concerning to me and, and certainly deserves more attention. I think this is where finding support in a community like Alicia did is important. Something else that I thought was really surprising from Alicia's story is that even when she saw the doctor of color, she was disappointed. I understand there being a bias in the education, but I'd expect she'd receive more accurate care from someone who has similar skin tone. Is there a benefit to finding a doctor that looks like you when it comes to psoriasis? First of all, uh, when it comes to patient and provider being of the same race or ethnicity or other characteristics, certainly there is information and studies out there that suggest, not just in dermatology, but in general medicine, that there are advantages of the patient and the healthcare provider being of the same race. Now, in dermatology, we have a, a special problem. Unfortunately, dermatology is one of the least racially and ethnically diverse specialties, meaning that our workforce is not very racially or ethnically diverse. Now, on the flip side, now that we have recognized that, I've already seen many changes in initiatives of, uh, trying to address this issue. But it's going to be a while. It's, that's it not going to be, be well. a quick fix. It is yeah. going to be well. But mm-hmm. I just want to say I'm optimistic for our future okay. because we're, we're very dedicated to fixing this problem. Okay. Now, second, 
I think Alicia's story is very unique because there are many advantages that have been shown already from studies that having racial or ethnic concordance, as we would call it, between patients and providers is is generally considered beneficial. But she saw somebody uh, who was a a black doctor and and still experienced many challenges. So I think there are other things to think about as well. Did this doctor receive education that was diverse? Just because you have dark skin, if you were only being also taught with light-skinned images, I mean, I think those individuals are subject to the same educational gaps uh, as lighter-skinned doctors or dermatologists. So I think that's one thing to think about. I think the other thing to think about is how diverse was this person's patient population? While there are data that suggests that you know, racial and ethnic minority individuals tend to see more diverse patient population. There are certainly exceptions. We all have our deficiencies and challenges. Um, so those are some of the things that I might think about. The other thing that I want to address, though, you know, you asked, should patients of color be seeking out providers of color? You know, I'm not going to say to someone, don't, don't seek out somebody who has the same skin tone as you or is of the same race or ethnicity and certainly seek out people you feel comfortable with. I, I think that's first and foremost. Now, in light of that, what I don't want to encourage is that seeing individuals and treating individuals with what we are calling skin of color, darker skin tones, becomes a so-called specialty. I think it is absolutely essential that all dermatologists all medical providers be comfortable treating individuals from all walks of life. And so I have anecdotal examples from the receiving end of us. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, Check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Uh, of a racial or ethnic minority or darker skinned dermatologist receiving patients who have seen other dermatologists who said, I don't treat individuals with darker skin. Go see this specialist in skin of color. Yeah. I don't think we should be encouraging. Exactly. So that's why my answer is yes and no. Yes, right now we have these sort of specialty clinics, and I I think it's serving a purpose, but I don't want it to become a specialty where only certain individuals are treating darker skin types. Okay, so it's not a bad idea to seek out a physician that looks like you for skin conditions, but it's more important to find one that you feel comfortable with. The idea is that you'll be more open about asking questions and sharing information. 
Still, we know there is an implicit bias going on with regards to treatment. There are people out there being prescribed topical treatments, and that simply is not enough for moderate to severe psoriasis. We definitely do want patients to educate themselves, but we shouldn't expect them to be experts. That's our responsibility as physicians. They need a physician they're comfortable with and one that's competent. So how exactly should patients navigate this dilemma to make sure they're getting the best treatment? Well, the very first thing recommended by Alicia and Dr. Takeshita is to go to the National Psoriasis Foundation's website, where you'll find a directory of providers and a bunch of other good resources. It's at psoriasis.org. I would encourage patients to not be scared to ask questions. Try to learn as much as possible from your healthcare provider about the skin condition. Say, hey, you know, I really don't understand this skin disease. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Because I think, you know, myself included as a healthcare provider, trying to really jam all of that information into a very short visit is very challenging. And I will admit, you know, sometimes I forget to cover the basics. I try my best. And and often you can't cover everything in one visit. And so you sort of split them up. So patients asking those questions, I think, will slow down the provider a little bit and and remind them, okay, you know, this patient doesn't know everything. I, I need to cover some of the basics here. We expect a lot from doctors, and we should. But we have to keep in mind that they may have a lot of patients to see. Neither the patient nor the physician wants this to be the case, but it is. So what we need to do as patients is to help them out a bit by asking questions and then not being afraid to ask follow-up questions. I think also beyond asking about, hey, what is psoriasis? Teach me about it a little bit. Asking also, can you tell me about the treatment approach and what all my treatment options are? This serves the purpose of not only empowering the patient with more information, but again, I think slows down the provider to say, okay, let me take a step back rather than saying, okay, I'm going to give this treatment to you and then out the door. Okay, let me talk to you about the approach. These are the different treatment options. And I share this because, again, this is something that I found myself suffering from. And I've noticed in a particular patient encounter when the patient was asking me, so what about this and that? And I sort of rethought my treatment approach and had different uh, recommendations for the patient. So find resources and educate yourself at psoriasis.org and ask your doctor a lot of questions. It seems pretty simple, but all patients are different. And some just don't feel comfortable asking a lot of questions sitting in the doctor's office. Sometimes physicians are too quick. So you have to be your own advocate and ask those questions. What are my treatment options? Why aren't I getting better? Is there something else I can try? This is especially important when we're talking about moderate to severe psoriasis because we do have very effective treatments. Yes, different types of treatments work for different people, but everyone needs to know at least what their options are. In the past, the treatment approach might be start with just topicals and then work your way up. But today, depending upon the severity of your disease and how much of your body is covered, that doesn't work for everyone. And people shouldn't think that they have to have this failed step approach because there are a lot of options today to treat psoriasis and even more on the horizon. People who are presenting with moderate to severe disease, I myself don't start with only topical therapies. I jump right to either, you know, light treatments, biologic treatments, oral treatments. 
uh, and topical therapy is really inadequate for moderate to severe disease. We are so fortunate now that while we don't have a cure for psoriasis as of yet, we have so many great treatment options. I mean, when I was a resident, you know, we only had a handful. And so, and it was challenging to really get patients down to clear skin or, you know, minimal psoriasis left. But now it's such a reality for most patients that it's really unacceptable for patients to be suffering with moderate to severe disease. For most individuals, we really should be able to get them to, if not clear skin, nearly clear skin. So there's a lot of good treatments out there if you have psoriasis. But what should people who haven't been diagnosed look out for? Psoriasis tends to appear symmetrically, meaning if it's on one side of your body, then typically it's also on the other side of your body. It also tends to appear on what we call extensor surfaces. And so examples of these are like your elbows, you know, the outer elbow as opposed to your inner elbow fold, or your knees, the front of your knees rather than the back of your knees, for example. Uh, Scalp is a uh, typical place as well. And then some hidden spots like your belly button uh, or between your buttocks. So from a distribution standpoint, those are some clues Uh, Some other things to watch out for is psoriasis tends to be thick, um, meaning it's it's raising up beyond your sort of normal skin uh, quite thickly and often will have a lot of scale. So people will notice a lot of flaking, a lot of skin shedding. Those are a couple of things to watch out for. But really, I mean, ultimately, you know, the burden shouldn't be on the patient or the person experiencing psoriasis. And I think it's important to get to a healthcare professional to get that diagnosis. But I encourage patients to educate themselves as much as possible about their own skin and their psoriasis. I do want to mention a really great resource, which is the National Psoriasis Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that is a really trusted source of information for all things related to psoriasis. And they provide a lot of resources to patients including a directory of healthcare professionals who specialize and are interested in seeing patients with psoriasis. It's important to get psoriasis properly diagnosed and treated, and not just because of the way it looks. Psoriasis on the skin is a sign of inflammation within the body. Approximately 30% of people with psoriasis end up developing psoriatic arthritis. It can also contribute to heart disease and diabetes. There's plenty of treatment options out there that will clear your skin and reduce these risks. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.